I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 115, I'm going to talk to J.D. and Claudette Luson from Huntsville, Alabama. After working secular jobs for 15 years, they went back into the professional ministry in their 40s and replanted the church in Huntsville. The church had plateaued at 11 disciples for 10 years. From the time they arrived four years ago, it's grown to over 50 members. In this episode, they talk about having a baby who weighed less than two pounds at birth, how they grew up on the same street in Jamaica, how they had 170 people at their first service, what their superpower is, and how they created a prayer circuit to inspire growth. All this and more on this episode of the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I want to invite you to the 2021 Small Church Leadership Conference. The theme is Climb. This is for anyone who wants to grow, who's leading a small ministry or small church, and who desires to get inspired and get encouraged coming out of COVID. This is the second conference we've had. The first one we entitled Look Up. This one is called Climb. It's December 2nd through 5th, 2021, December 2nd through 5th of this year in Dallas, Texas. We're staying at the Marriott Las Colinas. We've arranged hotel prices of $109 per night. Early registration is $125 until June 30th. Then it goes up to $150 until August 31st. And after that, it'll be $175. So please, You don't want to miss this event. It's going to be so inspiring, so encouraging, so equipping. You can register today at robskinner.com and look for the Climb Conference tab. That's robskinner.com forward slash climb dash conference. I look forward to seeing you in Dallas in December of 2021. Today on my program, I've got JD and Claudette Luson. They're the lead evangelist and women's ministry leader of the Greater Huntsville, Alabama Church of Christ. They got to Huntsville in May of 2017, and since their arrival, the church has grown from 11 disciples to 54 current disciples. They've been in the ministry for 20-plus years. Actually, today is their 22nd anniversary. They've been strong and faithful and dynamic leaders in Kingston, Jamaica, Orlando, South Florida, and right now in Huntsville, Alabama. I look forward to talking to them. J.D. and Claudette, welcome to the program. Oh, thank Thank you you. so much. I appreciate it, Rob. I was talking to you about this beforehand, but you are in demand because I asked my listeners, who do you want to hear from? And people said, we want to learn more about J.D. and Claudette and the work that they're doing in Huntsville, Alabama. So let's get right into it. How did you guys become Christians? Wow. Okay. So um, I became a disciple in 1996. Um, and so I, I was living in Florida at the time in, um, in Fort Lauderdale. 
And um, at the time I was going to Broward Community College. I think that the name of it has changed since, but um, so I was going there with, uh, with my oldest brother and, and uh, met uh, somebody that I was interested in. And then she started studying the Bible at church. And um, I wasn't very happy with that at the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I, uh, I decided that there's no way I'm going to go to that church. And um, she was very persistent and uh, kept inviting me. And I finally went. Um, went with a bad attitude, however, but I went. And, um, and when I uh, went to church the first day, unbeknownst to me, the fir that first Sunday, she had set up uh, brothers to sit with me. Um, <laughs> so I got totally set up. Um, and I hoped to have sit sat in the back, but they brought me further to the front. And um, one of them who I love dearly, uh, Duval Payne, he's in he's still down there in, in South Florida. Uh, his nickname was Bubba Payne. And so when Bubba sits next to you, you're, you're, uh, you're not going anywhere. And, um, and so it was a great service. It was a fantastic service. Um, uh, Steve Bowen preached and, and sang. And, um, and uh, afterwards, I was basically told that I was going to study the Bible. <laughs> I submitted to that and, you know, 10 days later, um, became a disciple. So, <laughs> um, so at first it, it sounds as if I was forced, but, um, after that Sunday, I wasn't, I, I was totally, totally into it. So, awesome. yeah. So I became a disciple in Jamaica in 1989. And, um, I tell you, my sister was invited out. We lived in an area that was close to the University of the West Indies. And uh, I remember this girl from Trinidad used to invite my sister and she'd knock on our gate. And uh, my sister went to a campus, uh, I think it was a house church at the time. And she came home and she said to me, Claudette, this was so good. You gotta come, you gotta see it. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'll meet some cute boys there. Let me just go and check it out with you. and. I went and it was, it was just amazing. There were people, I mean, young men and women singing and, and worshiping God. And I'd never been exposed to anything like that before. So, you know, I became curious and um, one of the young ladies asked me to study the Bible. And I said, sure, why not? I told her I was a Christian and um, we set up a time to study the Bible, but I went to church that following Sunday and it was so cool because the thing that struck me when I walked into that service was the singing. Mm. I was totally um, caught up with it because I'm from a family of singers oh. and um, we love to sing. We love music. We love the arts. And I walked into a church completely um, praising God. And that feeling was, was totally um, overwhelming, but convicting. And it made me wanted to study the Bible more. And so I studied and uh, a couple of weeks later, I became a disciple. And um, yeah, that's, that's how I became a disciple. <laughs> well, how did you two meet? Oh, wow. So, um, so I went into the the full-time ministry. I told you I got baptized in 96. I went into full-time ministry in 97 in wow. Colorado. 
uh, at the time, Terry Folker was leading the church and um, he, I had no idea what full-time ministry was and he introduced me to it and um, loved it. Um, there was a brother, um, Richard Parnell, who was in Jamaica at the time and took a trip to South Florida and asked, asked me if I wanted to, um, to go back to Jamaica to lead in the ministry there. Unbeknownst to me, he had already talked with Terry. <laughs> and so I, I, I was very eager about that. I said, absolutely. And when I went to Jamaica, um, I went to, we went, we were in Kingston, but we went to Montego Bay for a staff meeting. And Claudette was there at the staff meeting and um, she wasn't on staff at the time, but she was helping out and, and, um, and, Damien Jean-Baptiste uh, said, hey, bro, you know, you got to you got to meet Claudette. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'm, I'm so involved in ministry right now. And that's my focus. But we met, we went on a date and uh, and we realized that we had so, so many um, of the same goals and dreams for God's kingdom. And we became best friends. Mm. That's great. That's great. So I was telling you earlier that um, I think uh, I'm a little older than JD is. And I'd like to think we met when JD was a preteen and I was a teenager. <laughs> I'm five years older than JD. And funny, you know, my, my mother had sent my sister and I to live with my aunt. And um, JD and I ended up living on the same street. And um, we didn't know each other because, of, of course, I was in high school. And he was in um, prep school, which is kind of like elementary school here. But fast forward later on, like JD just shared, we met in, um, in Montego Bay. That was the first mm -hmm. time we met. JD was in the ministry. I was working for Air Jamaica, one of our, our national airline. And I remember they invited me to come to that meeting. And um, he was playing basketball. And we met. We became friends. We went on a date later on and the rest is history wow. so you guys so, you guys both grew up in jamaica is that right yeah so i was in jamaica i was born in in uh in jamaica queens <laughs> in New York. and then i moved to jamaica as um as a toddler because my mom uh she was she was operating as a single mom as the time at the time because they my mom and my father were separated and so it just became so difficult for her, you know? And so I went to Jamaica to grow up with aunts and uncles um, um, until I was about 13 is when I came back to New York. And that's that period of time when I was down there in Jamaica is the period that Claudia just referred to. Wow, that's amazing. What, what, let me just ask this question. What do most people not know about you guys? Goodness. Ooh. Um, so, um, well, me, me specifically, um, I guess, gosh, I don't know which one of the things I should share that people don't necessarily know about me. I'm a huge soccer fan, big time <laughs> soccer fan. Like I rarely watch any other sport apart from football, mm -hmm. football, soccer. Right. right? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, my favorite team is Tottenham Hotspur. Um, love, I love that team. Um, and 
something else. I guess something that recently happened was that I just got um, interested in shooting sports, which okay. is kind of is kind of interesting. I gotta I gotta talk to our brother John Lusk and get some advice. Oh my gosh! Like, are you, are you talking about like trap shooting, shotgun, rifle, oh. pistol, bow? Pistol. Well, pistol. 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 Okay. Pistol. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, so I guess those are a few things about me. Okay, so if anyone charges into your church service on Sunday, they better watch out. You're, you're fully loaded. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Claudette? Gosh, I, I can't think of anything that most people don't know already. I mean, the minute you meet me, you know I'm Jamaican. I, uh, because my accent gives it away. I am a lover of music. I love to sing. I love life. And um, I just love to have fun. And I love to be relaxed. And I think that's one of the things that um, some people appreciate about me is mm-hmm. that um, I love life. I love what God has given me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. I've got to enjoy what God has given me. And so I will do whatever is um, fun. Like I play, I played hockey, I played field hockey for a while. And um, when I was in high school and, and some of college, I played uh, field hockey. I um, love singing music. Wow. Um, sisters, uh, one of my sisters is a disciple. She's in the church in Trinidad. And um, one of my other sisters is a disciple in the church in Broward. And they both sing as well. And uh, for, for a while there, we were, no, we were known in the Caribbean as the Rose Girls, the Rose Sisters, you know, kind of like the, um, the, um, the Pointer Sisters. <laughs> we were the Rose Sisters. And we would sing at conferences, at um yeah, different events that they that they had but um i think that would be the most interesting thing mm. about me is, the, is my love of music and the arts it reminds me of a movie my wife and i saw last night on our date night aretha franklin and mm. she grew up in a church her dad was a minister loved to sing with her sisters and totally reminds me of the same type of situation similar situation yeah. yes yeah very similar now you guys had a uh a baby pre- born prematurely. Can you talk about that? You go? So I was 26 <laughs> weeks when um, I went into um, labor. And uh, so Travis was born at 26 weeks. And um, because of how um, his prematurity, he spent seven and a half months in the NICU and had to be, uh, most of the time he was ventilated. He um, had a trach to help him breathe and a feeding tube. And at one point when he was hospitalized, we all thought that um, he was gonna pass because uh, the cardiologist had a conversation with us, you know, a couple of the physicians and said, you know, guys, um, this kid is deoxygenating. This kid is, may not, you know, um, make it. And um, it's funny, at the time I wasn't a nurse, so I had no idea what they were talking about. Right now, I'm a nurse practitioner now, so now I'm kind of aware of what was happening. But at the time, it was extremely frightening because JD and I battled with, should we, let me just back up a little bit. The conversation they had with us was, 
whether or not they should take him off oxygen because he may not make it. And for someone who is not clinical at, at all, and for any parent, whether or not you're clinical, the the scare of, oh my goodness, if I take him off, am I committing murder? You know, right, am I killing right. my baby? And you don't want to do that. And so we prayed about it. We had a, a lot of our friends around the world praying for him. And you know, you know, as 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 we know all children are very um, adaptable and they change very quickly. You know, mm -hmm. Travis turned around immediately, like the next day he turned around, mm -hmm. um, still had to be oxygenated, but long story short, came home on oxygen for a year. We had nurses and um, so I pretty much had a little hospital room set up at the home, but he is now 15 years old. He is on the spectrum and um, he is extremely smart and um, we are, I feel lucky actually to have a child on, on the spectrum because of the, the joy that he brings to us and the, the little things that he sees and is aware of that you not get from a normal child. I'm mm -hmm. almost thinking this is such a gift to have mm -hmm. a child on the spectrum. So it was a rough time emotionally and um, it's been, it, as most parents know with a child that is autistic, it's been a challenging um, number of years, especially with um, the school system, but, you know, God has really proven to be faithful. He's encouraged us all the way, and we're so thankful for yeah. the many, many amazing friends that he's blessed, uh, blessed us with. Mm -hmm. So, well, our son is doing amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's doing fantastic. He's such a blessing. Um, I personally, if we had anything to do over again, I don't think we would do anything differently because to see God move in his life um, and bless him at that stage and even now um, has been so faith building for us. How did that affect your marriage? Oh, it was challenging. It was challenging because I feel like we, there were some parts of that time that we didn't see eye to eye on everything right mm -hmm. um because and i think that's because of fear um that's because we had no idea what was happening what was going on but it's also with that fear comes a challenge to your faith too right and i think uh there were days where we didn't know what to do and when we're conversing about what to do i have a different perspective than claudette does right and none of them neither perspective was necessarily right or wrong it was just a different perspective and so that would be that was challenging for us um and of course challenging to see each other hurt you know um and and you know, search for the comforting words to say to each other mm. um, at a time where your son is in the hospital for the fifth month and you're pretty much sleeping there. So it was very challenging for us. There mm. were times where I had um, difficulty with, you know, just contemplating my faith, you know, and so that was challenging for Claudette as well. Mm. So it was, it was tough, but we stuck in there and had a lot of people praying for us wow. and uh, God just, God made a huge difference in our marriage as well as our family. 
You said he was born at 1.8 pounds. Is that right? One pound, 8.2 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. 1.82 1. 8, 1. 8, pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So 1.8 ounces. So one pound. One, one pound, eight, <laughs> 8 ounces. Two ounces, yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so he was the size of the palm of my hand. Oh, my gosh. And um, so he was nowhere near ready to be born. And what was scary about that was that, I mean, we had no idea what to do, but I know the, the nurses in the NICU were amazing. You know, they um, really, I remember one time they told me to take a vacation and they're like, you need to go yeah. and take some time for yourself. He had aspirated in the NICU as well, which is one of the reasons why he had a problem with his oxygenation. Uh, oxygenation. And um, that was the point when I had no idea if he was going to make it or not. But um, it, it was tough and it, it was hard because it was hard for us too because we had no family members around. We were living in Jacksonville at the time and um, we had no family members there, they were living in either Jamaica, England, um, you know, far away. Right. And, um, so it was difficult, but um, but we took all the, the advice that we got from the medical professionals. And um, I tell you what, prayer works. Yeah. We, yeah. we had no option. It's, it's you're, you're in this place where you have no one to rely on but God and you have no idea what you're doing. And we, I think JD shared a lot about what we went through, but I think it bonded us even more mm. because together we were learning something new, how to deal with this little life that we had to take care of that was not what we expected, mm. you know, of, of his life. Mm. And we had to learn how to, take a trach out, how to put a trach in. We had to learn how to have faith when no one else has faith for us. You know, we had to learn to dig deeper um, in our Bible study. We had to learn to um, get the help we needed from people that were around us to keep us um, focused on, you know, help to keep us focused on our relationship with God. Right. So, yeah. well, let me sh shift the discussion here to talk about your life in the ministry why did you guys want to go into the ministry? Um, well, for me, I, as I mentioned before, uh, I, was, I was asked to go into the ministry by Terry Folker. Um, at the time, I had no idea what that um, involved, um, but I knew that I wanted to serve in God's church. Um, that was, you know, that was clear. Um, I didn't know how I wanted to serve in God's church. I just knew I wanted to. So when the when the opportunity was presented to me, um, you know, I said yes instantly because of I just wanted to please God. Um, and so as I did ministry, encountered the challenges of ministry and different things like that, I still enjoyed it. I still loved helping people. And I felt like I was learning so much about God that I wanted to be able to transform the, the formation that I was going through to somebody else. Right. And, um, and so, um, and that was my main purpose mm. at the time. 
and still is really. <laughs> you know, when I became a disciple in 1989, back in those days, everything was about go make disciples. Right, that's you know? right. What island are you going to leave? <laughs> and I'm like, and I remember vividly laying down on the grass dreaming, what island am I going to lead? Oh. Where am I going to go? But I think the scripture in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, I take it um, very literally. You know, as a young disciple, I know about really going to all nations and making mm-hmm. disciples. I think it's it's something that God has called me to do and whether or not I am paid ministry I've always felt like I'm in the ministry whether or not I'm paid because for me ministries is um giving your heart and soul to doing what God has called you to do and so for me ministry is not just what we're doing now being paid um as full-time ministers ministry for me was working as a nurse and still going to Bible talk or leading a family group or leading mm-hmm. a, um, a, a Bible talk or, you know, deciding, okay, I want to go to with hope here to, mm-hmm. to help the needy here, or I want to go to Suriname, or I want to go to Montego Bay to see that, that um, city evangelized for God. So for me, ministry mm-hmm. for me has always been just doing the work of God, whether or not you're paid. Yeah. Or, or you're not paid. I think coming to Huntsville for me was was surprising. I, I'm not. I'm, I didn't have no. I had no idea where I was going. And when JD said we're going to Huntsville, we're going to be interviewing in Huntsville. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Alabama. I'm like, you know, I'm Jamaican here. <laughs> Maybe you know. And uh, but I came here, and it, it's been such a blast it even mm-hmm. makes it even more fun being in the ministry here the people of the city and and the disciples who are part of the church so i don't know if that answers the question no that's great that's great well let's talk about that how can you guys give us a give give me a quick overview of how you got to huntsville alabama yeah so oh that's a pretty interesting story um it's kind of a long story so i'll do my best to shorten it a little bit but we were in Orlando, Florida at the time. Um, we were in, uh, in North Orlando, I guess, or East Orlando. Um, and we were with the Santoses um, at the time, Brian and Michelle Santos. And, but prior to going to Orlando, we were in Jacksonville. And I remember Scott Kirkpatrick coming there once and uh, we met each other we became friends and he knew that at that time we had been out of the ministry probably 15 years but we were still um serving in in our in our local church okay hold on a second you guys were out of the ministry for 15 years okay let's just back this up here so (laughs) let's talk about from the time you got married you guys Uh were both in the ministry at that time is that right Yes. Okay, yes. so let's just kind of walk it forward from there. Just give me a, a three-minute description of where you've been, whether full-time, part-time, in the cities you've been. Do you want me to go? Yes, you go. All right, so J.D. got <laughs> baptized. He was in the ministry in Fort Lauderdale, went to Kingston in the ministry. I used to work for the airlines. They asked me to go in the ministry. We came out of the ministry in Jamaica. J.D. came out. He was moving back. I came out. What year so was that? That was 19, that was 19, 2000. That was 2000. Okay. We came to Fort Lauderdale. I, we were there in Fort Lauderdale for a while. 
I had a miscarriage, a stillborn, and I went to New York to be with my mom because I wanted to be close to my mother. So we stayed in New York for a little bit. I realized New York was not the city for me to live in. It was just overwhelming. <laughs> I'm a Caribbean girl that needed sun, needed a Florida life. On our way back down, our friends were leading the church in um, Jacksonville, Florida, the Santa Cis, them and the Rocks. And so we, we were there in Jacksonville for a little bit. And um, from Jacksonville, we left Jacksonville to Orlando. Right. And if, if I could interject just a second um, to tell you a little bit about from New York to Jacksonville. So when we were in New York, um, we were exposed to so many great leaders in New York and, and so many great people in New York. And I think, I think for me, um, I started to feel this, man, I want to go back in the ministry, you know, I, I miss being in the ministry and serving in that capacity. And then when we went to Jacksonville, now Brian and Michelle, Brian was uh, one of, I had two best men and Brian was one of my best men in my wedding. And so we, we were really close to them. And, um, and so we decided to stay in Jacksonville for a little bit and be with them. And then they later left and went to Orlando uh, to leave part of leader region in Orlando. And, um, and so that is when we, I guess, shortly after that, like two years, maybe two years, two mm -hmm. years after that, we went to um, Orlando as well. And then from Orlando, we went back into the ministry here. So we have not really been in the ministry, paid ministry consistently for 22 years, like you mentioned at the beginning. It's more like six or seven years total in the ministry and then yeah. the rest. Oh, okay. Okay. And so JD, what were you doing for work when you were not in the professional ministry? So I was, I was in sales and marketing. Um, and you know, what's interesting about my position in sales and marketing is I'm, I'm, a, I love to read and I love to learn. And I learned so much about communicating with people, right? And, and uh, if I could, I don't want to, this is sound strange, but just communicating and asking them to do basically something that they didn't intend on doing in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, and so it did teach me even more about ministry right. and how to communicate with people. Right. And, you know, because not everybody wants to hear about the kingdom or Jesus. And, right. Um, and so I learned a lot during those, that time period um, in sales and marketing, and, and it, uh, it provided a good living for us, you know. That's great. And you, you got your nursing degree and became a nurse, nurse practitioner, which is essentially like a, almost a doctor. I, yes, I do, I do similar work like a physician. If you were to come to a primary care office to be seen by someone, you'd probably be seen by myself or a medical um, physician. Wow. When did you get, to, when did you get that certified for that? So I got certified in 2016. Okay. Well, relatively recently. And are you still doing that in Huntsville? So I just, I'm still doing that. I just resigned from my current position because I'm working kind of now on full-time in the ministry, kind of like 75 percent of the time for the ministry but I still 
do love working as a practitioner. Yeah. So I will be probably doing like, you know, just working to keep my license. Sure. Of course. Okay. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you got asked to go to Huntsville, Alabama. That must have been a surprise that you, you weren't in the ministry and then all of a sudden, Hey, you want to go in the ministry and lead a church? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Scott mentioned Huntsville to us in um, about 2015, uh, beginning or about the beginning of 2015. And I told him, I said, I said, bro, no way. I don't want to go to Alabama. Never been to Alabama. And I have, no desire to. Um, and I didn't, it's not that I had something against the state. It's just, just didn't know anything about, about, uh, about Alabama mm -hmm. at all. But, um, and so I also told him that we didn't feel like after 15 years, we would have been prepared for anything else, but to leave maybe a region maybe a singles group or maybe campus ministry, campus ministry or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and so that's what we started interviewing for in different, in different places. And, but Scott was really persistent. Um, you know, he continued to call us and, uh, and offer a, you know, um, an opportunity here in Huntsville. And so we decided, okay, you know what, let's, let's go ahead and interview and just see what it's about. Um, and we had a phone interview with, with some of the brothers here in, in uh, Huntsville, as well as Terry Folker, who was in Nashville at the time. And, um, <clears throat> and I think to be quite frank, uh, I think with Scott's prompting, as well as the fact that Terry was gonna be a part of that, uh, who was involved in our life in the beginning, we felt like, okay, well, let's, let's give it a shot and do the interview. We loved that interview. It was such a great interview talking with these guys. Mm -hmm. And it was so informative and um, casual, but also we just kind of felt like, man, these, these are just some great people in Huntsville. Okay. Um, yeah. And so so uh, what, 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 were you guys, what were you guys walking into? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I, the interview process went great. When we came to Huntsville, I had no idea what, we had no idea what to expect. And so we were interviewed by, I think, probably five couples. If you know anything about Huntsville, it's a city where we've got the Arsenal, we've got, you know, Nassau, we've got Boeing, we've got a lot of engineering companies. So it's a very in-transit city. I did not know that until I got here, but in meeting with the couples that were um, having this interview dinner, I um, we found out a lot about the city. What did we walk into? We walk into a family. Mm -hmm. It was a group of probably about uh, 11 people or yeah. so, and um, mostly married couples. Um, uh, one couple had um, young children, uh, one of which she's become a disciple um, since then. But it was a group that were in their 40s to 60 and that's yeah. the that's the age range but they were super they just wanted to see the city of Huntsville grow and so they were united in in that effort to you know to bring someone in to help them to um see the city one for 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 Christ and you know it's funny I'd not it's 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 funny I'd not seen such a group of people who've been so sacrificial I mean these guys 
saved up a lot of money just to get a leader to come here. And it wasn't a large group of people that saved that money. Mm -hmm. When I found out who saved it, I'm like, well, this is just a tiny group of people. Yeah. And but so, they were unified. Yeah. And they were basically here having church, giving contribution for probably 10 years right and saving all that apart from facilities costs which were which they decided to do on Sundays um, in a hotel they were very so faithful for so many years you know putting aside as much as they could for that moment when we came mm -hmm. so we we joined this family in a very it was a very good situation. Okay. What's helped the church to grow? You you started with 11 disciples that were there. Mm -hmm. You're over 50 people now in like four years. What's happened? So I think um, one of the major things that happened is how we came here, right? Because there are times where ministers will come to a church and, and with a posture of, I am the leader, right? I think when we came, um, we, yes, we knew that was the case, but we wanted to, we, more than anything, we wanted to join a family and keep it that way, keep it very family oriented, um, give disciples autonomy to do things. Um, look at, I guess, in some way, look at that, that initial group that was here, they became our core group. So we were leading a church of our core group, with our core group, we, with who we considered family. And that group pretty much helped us to understand Huntsville, the city we, we were so new to. Um, it was a new place for us and we needed uh, their input on Huntsville, things that would work. We would have core group meetings and I'd say, hey, I have this idea and they gave their input on that, of which we respected. Um, and um, I think between that and the fact that we modeled what we did off of Acts 2.42, we prayed together, we broke bread together, we did pretty much everything together. If somebody had a need, we supported that need and contributed that to that need. And that allowed the disciples to take ownership of the church. Like this is our church and we wanna make sure that it's gonna grow um, and we're gonna do well spiritually. And so that helped tremendously. Churches that are, there's different set points where churches hit and then they stop growing. One is around 15. That's where you were at when you first joined the church, 30, uh, 50, you know, about a hundred members. Like you didn't receive, you didn't have any sort of friction at that point. How did you get, you know, get it from 15 to 30? Was there, was there any sort of resistance from that group to, to growing the church? And you talked about, you know, the desire to keep a family. It, it messes up the family when you add new people to it. I mean, all of a sudden you it changes the dynamic. How did you deal with that? Just adding this change growth to an existing situation that was functioning find at 11 people right it's funny that you asked that question because even though the church has grown 
um, even more, and there are more people wanting to move into Huntsville. Disciples who've been disciples for years are moving in and wanting to move into Huntsville. We decided that we wanted to not, like JD said, not make decisions without getting the input from our core, core team, but also um, from the people in the church, because we wanted people to feel involved in the decision makings, um, decisions that were being made. And so we had no resistance. I, I think, you know, it, it's hard to explain the hearts of the people that we have, we have here. I mean, these guys are disciples. Well, the, the original ones I'm talking about that we made our core, core group there, they just wanted to support whatever decision that we made. And so one of the things JD did, JD and I did was we decided to really um, get other churches involved in what we're doing. For example, we had interns coming from Nashville to help us build our campus ministry. We needed people who knew what they were doing and we needed the support from the other brothers and sisters within the Southeast region. And so what we did, we had interns coming from Nashville. JD and I would often visit um, Atlanta, the um, North River Church um, to really just to learn what they're doing to build their ministry. And then what we would do is implement it here in our church, but we wanted our church to feel a part of the Southeast region. Mm -hmm. We wanted them to feel a part of the body that they were not just this little church here in Huntsville. We wanted them to feel the impact of um, the relationship within the brother, within our other churches. And that helped a lot because we pulled people in and the, grow and the people coming in also brought ideas that were implemented, but they also helped us to convert people on campus, to, um, to study the Bible with other people. So um, mm -hmm. that's some of the things that we mm -hmm. did okay. to yeah. get them the momentum going. Right. Let me ask you this. What, what mistakes do you see being made in other churches? Now, you're not going to walk in and just go, hey, bro, you're really blowing it here. But, mm -hmm. you know, you've been around to different churches. What What's one of the most common mistakes that you see made in smaller churches that have been around, you know, longer than just a few years? Right. So um, one of the things that we did as well was we, we made certain that we um, were building a culture, right, um, of discipleship, evangelism, and so on and so forth. But in order to build that we realized we had to get more involved in our community, but we also have to know our city. And I've seen where there are some small churches where um, uh, may, may neglect understanding the culture of their city, where they are. You know, Huntsville is big on engineering. It's, uh, you know, NASA is a big deal. and. And so we realize, okay, we're in a tech city, um, but we're also in a tra transient city as well, right? And how do we, how do we do a good job in, in getting our church culture to be a part of that mm -hmm. as well? So, so even the website we're developing right now, we want it to be very techy, you know what I mean? Um, for the millennials as well. Mm -hmm. But I think that is one of the things that I've seen is that sometimes we can get consumed with our church mm -hmm. body 
and and not um and what we what happens is we neglect that culture of our city you know for instance you have cities you know cities are just so different huntsville is different than austin right it's different than miami and so what is the culture of that city Mm -hmm. that's great how can you be a part of that culture so that you can expose god's truth to that culture that's great there are many many churches that are stuck at certain numbers in in the in the congregation just like your church was at 11 for 10 years mm-hmm. um, we recently planted a church in flagstaff arizona that's very similar about 12 people it had gone up and down higher and lower but essentially is at 12 for for years i mean at yeah. least 10 years it is tough to get get that church moving forward when it's it's set at a certain point it's it's hard to instill faith it's challenging to give people faith what would you say to a small church that's stuck i would say that we we have to continue to instill vision right mm-hmm. that is so important is that vision has to be a constant subject that you try to turn into a reality because when we came here as well in 2017 in may of 2017 in september of the same year we had what we called uh, inaugural an inaugural service right and what i did was as claude had mentioned i sent a message to all our leaders in the mid-south and the southeast to let them know that this was happening in September. Um, At that service of 11 disciples, we may have grown a a few by then, but of of those disciples, we had 170 people at that service. Wow. Coming from both visitors and people surrounding churches, supporting us, and one of the main reasons we wanted to do that was to instill a vision in the greater Huntsville church of what it could look like in mm-hmm. the future, mm-hmm. right? We wanted them to, we wanted both for us and for them to see it, not just talk about making disciples, but how do we help them to see these seats being filled, people rejoicing, singing, worshiping together, in a, in a large um, hall and having a vision that someday this could be yeah. a consistent thing mm-hmm. every Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And so we always dreamt big. We always do big. It's like we're this little teeny church, but everything that we do is big. We had a huge woman's day. We had, um, that was, that turned out to be amazing. And every year it gets better. And um, and so we instill vision by by even using the talents within the church. You know, if you've got a talent, if you're if you can preach, you need to be preaching. You know, if your gift is hospitality, use your gift. If your gift is singing, use your gift. If mm-hmm. your gift is, and so we look for the gold in our people. 
And we try and highlight it and pull it out and give them autonomy so that they feel like I can do this. I can be whatever I can be for God. And, mm-hmm. and with that, you know, Bible talks about um, never be lacking in zeal, instilling, you know, having that zeal for God and um, setting that example. And people catch on. People want to be the example that you set. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scripture I wanted to share. Go ahead. And, and it's in John 17. And the scripture is like, it means a lot to me because I, this scripture was read to me as a young disciple. But Jesus prayed that um, in verse 20, he says, my, prayers, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And one of the things JD and I decided that we were gonna do was that we were not gonna live on an island, that we were gonna um, involve and include the brothers and sisters that were in you know, our family of churches mm-hmm. because we knew, we knew we couldn't do it on our own. We needed the support and the help from, from our brother and sister churches. And we're so grateful that we did that because it really, really encouraged um, the disciples in our church here. Yeah. And if I could say one more thing about that too, Rob, is one of the, in addition to that, one of the things I do see in some small churches that we did do differently was it wasn't just sending notes or messages to the churches around us. We left our city, we got in our cars and we traveled to visit these churches, to let them know that just as we're sharing with you what is happening in Huntsville, because it's one thing to inspire your church, but it's another thing to inspire your neighboring churches about what is happening um, so that they can pray as well, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did a lot of traveling, a lot of driving around, you know, um, from Huntsville to Atlanta to to Memphis, to Jackson, Mississippi, to Nashville, to um, South Carolina. Carolina. That's what, a seven-hour ride? Mm -hmm. Um, So we did a lot of that, too. That's great, because many times when when a church is not growing, the leader pulls away because they're not either not happy or they're they're ashamed or they're afraid, worried about what other people think about their church that is not growing or it's been struggling for a long time. And so it just, it kind of goes into a negative cycle of pulling away more and more, not getting the help that they need, the outside input. But what I hear you guys saying is you went the other direction and say, hey, let's let's get connected to other people. Let's pull in all the resources and help from other churches. Great, great, great idea. Uh, let me just ask you this, guys. What I'm, I'm hearing a lot of stuff. What do you feel like is your superpower? Like what, what's special about you guys? Oh gosh. Um, for me, I think one of the things that is, that has helped me as well as some of the disciples around me is I feel that I'm at my best when I'm learning. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I try to read a lot, study a lot, but I don't keep that to myself. I try to impart that on who I disciple or, or the church as a whole. They always know what I'm reading. It's funny because um, 
now they'll come to me and they say, Hey, I have this issue. What book do you think I should read? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I got a book for that, you know, or, or I came across a book for that. Um, and, uh, and so I think that is something for me that, that has helped me tremendously. I've, I've, I've read your book a number of times. I have read books you've suggested a number of times. I have a community of kindness and the conspiracy of kindness. Um, um, and so to me, I think that is my superpower, if you will, is to be able to read, retain, and then regurgitate um, what and apply uh, what I've been studying. You know, many, many advisors make victory. Sure, That's right. right. I look at all these authors as, as advisors. That's right. They've, they've put in all this work. I know. Right, to, I know. To, to, to give me a 200 page, basically research paper. Right, right. And I just take it and use it. I just, it mystifies me when I talk to leaders, disciples, and they say, I just don't like to read. And I just... <laughs> I just scratch my head and I yeah. just go, how, one, how do you even lead? How do you manage to put together a sermon from week to week without reading? Yeah. And there's so many ways, even if you don't like visually reading, you can listen to books and read, read, yeah. read through your ears, you know, which I like to do, but I just, I just still kind of go, oh my gosh. Anyway, what's your superpower, Claudette? Goodness. Um, you know, I don't see myself as a super leader. I never claim to be a super leader and I do not walk around like a super leader. I think <laughs> I am just a normal, regular person. And I think I, I lead the ministry as such. You know, a sister that was here, she left to go back to her church and she called me uh, two days ago and she said, you know, I just wanted to talk to you about a situation that's happening in my church. And somebody said something to me and I don't know how to handle it and I'm struggling. And, you know, I was able to redirect her back to the person who said what they said to her and, you know, just to help her with helping that person with, you know, the conversation mm -hmm. that they're having. And she said to me, you know, I feel so um, comfortable talking to you, so easy to talk to a leader. You know, that's not, that's not, I can't do that with my leader. I just cannot go to them and talk to them. And I, and I think one of the culture that we, we have here is, is to just realize that we are just people. We are just God's servants. And mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter the title that God has in us, you know, our attitude needs to be that like Jesus, you know, who in the very nature took on, you know, a servant and or, or I strive to be that person where, you know, anyone can talk to you about anything. I, actually, I don't think I know how to be anything else. You know, I don't know how to be a super if, leader. If I could even interject <laughs> and tell you what her superpower is as well, is that she is amazing at, at, at instilling a dream and vision into somebody else. Mm. Like they'll sit in front of her and they're like, like, wow, I can really do that. And she's like, yeah. You know, and they and she helps them to dream and broaden their perspective about ministry. Wow. I do. I do dream a lot. I, <laughs> I, I can identify with Joseph. I'm a dreamer. Yeah. I do like to see the potential in people. And I do think God has given us all potential, but we've got to believe in, in, in God's vision for life right. and um and just trust. Right. And, so you're um, so you're approachable. And you 
instill vision in others. That's great. That's definitely superpower status. There are, there are a lot of people like you who've been in the ministry in the past, whether it's pre-2003 or had some ministry experience that are working secular jobs, and they're probably thinking, man, I could probably do ministry again, or what should I do? Or you know, any advice that you would give to another couple in their 30s, 40s, 50s? I mean, there's so many spots available that need help, and you're doing amazing work there. But any thoughts to those who are just kind of going, whoa, that, that, that might be challenging, you know, but are considering going back into the ministry, whether part-time, full-time, or self-supporting? Mm-hmm. I would definitely say that because they're considering it, there's a reason that they're considering it, right? Um, there's something inside of them that uh, there's a strength there that God has instilled and a gift there that God is, that is giving them that is causing them to consider it. It could just be even a love for people, right? Um, which is huge. Um, and I think that's something they should really explore through getting advice, understanding what the ministry is about. Because yeah, it sounds great and fantastic, but you know, when when we have things go south in the ministry where you know, somebody may be disgruntled or they may leave or something like that. It hurts because of how much you have poured out into that individual. And I think that's something too um, to consider, right? Um, Is how you deal with that. But I think a lot of advice, continue to explore it um, because we do need leadership in God's kingdom. Um, But understand that is not all a bed of roses, but mm-hmm. it's tremendously rewarding. Right, right. I, I, I can only share what happened to us. I know for me, I just finished nurse practitioner school, so I was thrilled about starting my career as a practitioner. My husband says, I want to go back into the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And being the, you know, I love my husband and um, I love ministry. And I thought, you know, let's pray about it. Let's see what direction God is going to take us. And Mm -hmm. so I prayed about it and God led us straight to Huntsville. God Mm -hmm. found us a home without us even trying. God found me a job. God found um, everything just went smoothly. And it it was very obvious that this was God's will. Mm -hmm. So I think... The, one of the things, one of the advice I would give would be to give your heart fully to God, mm-hmm. seek his kingdom first, but pray through the situations and watch and pray for specific situations and, and just ask and watch for God to answer those prayers. And I think God will make it clear if this is the, if this is, uh, the direction he wants you to go. Yeah, and I think, honey, would you agree that they should try to walk in those shoes? And try and walk in like, those like shoes, Like, yeah. get the opportunity to walk in those shoes, maybe an internship or something like that. Because you may have this idea in your head about what ministry is and do it, and you're like, that's not what I was thinking, you know? And I think also... Um, to, to not to quote it, but in, in, in this same book, The uh, Community of Kindness, one of the things that they talk about in there is 
is being okay with doing the grunt work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Being okay to do some of the dirty work um, because again, it's not this glitz and glamor. You are serving people. And so you're a servant and no servant is, you know, doing a glitzy job. You know, they're, they're doing a tough job sometimes. A shepherd does a tough job. He's kind of filthy and stinky out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you got to be willing to do that dirty work and see if you even, if you're even okay with that. And so. Can I just share one more thing that I think is really vital to someone wanting to go back in the ministry. We've got some amazing couples that moved here from the church in Columbia, and we've got this incredible couple coming in from Virginia. We've got some disciples that have moved in just wanting to support the church and be on a mission team and build the church. I think one of the um, another way that um, someone who's considering going back in the ministry, uh, another thing for them to consider would be to join a, a mission team, right. join a small church, add to that, you know, add your wisdom and your experience and your passion to a mission team. That's another way that um, um, you can add or you can give to the ministry. Wow, if you're that's thinking. great. You guys make it seem pretty easy. And, and you know, I go, I'm listening to this go, gosh, I might, I'd kind of like to go to their church. I mean, it's super loving, super kind and nurturing. But what, what do you find most challenging? There's had to be some, some bumps in the road here to get to 50. What, what's going on behind the curtain? You know, we've had, we've had people who've walked away. We've had people who've walked away for different reasons. And that's that's very hard. It's hard because yeah. you pour your heart and your soul into these relationships. And um, for one reason or another, people, you know, may leave for um biblical for um for you know relationship reason mm-hmm. for um probably a conflict in doctrine, doctrinal reasons, they may leave. We're, we live in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in a very religious city as well. You know, almost everyone you bump into, they say they're a disciple, they're a Christian. And listen, you know, back in the day, in, in, in the day when I became a disciple, nobody talked about the word disciple. In Huntsville, you're, people are talking about disciple. They're disciple. They're having Bible talks mm-hmm. at home. They're having similar things that we have. And so it's, it's, doctrinal um, issues arise and so the challenge the, the other thing that is that that we found very challenging is 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 there's there are a lot of millennials that struggle with anxiety and and depression and um, the need to feel liked at all time and loved at all time and you know the need you know for physical contact and that's been difficult Mm -hmm. with COVID Mm -hmm. and so the the challenges that we're facing a lot of it is with the younger um, group from the millennials all the way down to you know teens I don't think teens are millennials I don't know what they are Gen X or whatever they are Uh, it's changing I, I, I can't keep up and so the challenge that we're facing now is a challenge to deal with those that struggle with anxiety with depression Mm-hmm. And um, we've had to redirect people to medical professionals, you know, and um, and so it's not all a better roses. 
we do have challenges yeah. within the church. Right. But um, yeah. those and are some of the situations that we face. And I think with the with the uh, with the depression and the anxiety, we've seen that at a different level during the pandemic. Right. I think during the pandemic, we have seen be it move outs or people who have walked away. 13 people leave the church right and so for a small church that can be difficult to right. deal with that right. can be tough um and so at the same time i think it's important how we deal with the transition of those people leaving which we've learned quite a bit about too um because you don't just want to forget about them or or that leave on bad terms or and i think so those that involve that you know, brought up some struggles as well. And look, people are not always going to disagree, always going to agree with you or what you, you know, want to do. And, and so I think being able to deal with people having different views, opinions is also important, right? Um, we've, we've come across that. We've come across that during the, um, the racial issues that right. that happen, right? You know? um, and so, being able to really communicate with with the church is super important, right? And I, I think that's one of the barriers for many people to get into the ministry, whether they're a younger person or older. It's like just dealing with people and and dealing, you know, not when you become a leader in whether in any organization, but in particular with a church, you come under fire. You can't please everybody. And I, I think that's one barrier that really holds people back. It's like, I just, I want to avoid all conflict. I don't want, you know, people taking pot shots at me. Um, how do you cope with that? How do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, I'm sure you have, you come from a sales background, wanting to please people. You guys both seem like super nice people. How do you push through that and still want to do ministry? Well, I think, I think the, the, the major part of it is your perspective, right? Like, how do you, if somebody disagrees with you, that it's, you know, um, how do you perceive that? If you take that personally, as if they don't like you, then it's going to be devastating. I, I, you have to, 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 to look at it as, okay, this is, this also has to do with their relationship with God. It has to do with the relationship with, with his kingdom. And as far as I understand from the gospels, I still got to love them. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the, the saying, kill them with kindness, I still, I still got to love them. I got to be kind. Um, and, you know, you know, love covers a multitude of sins and, and I got to figure out, okay, well, how can I do my best to love this person through this situation? Right. Right. Um, you know, uh, Tom McCurry is in our church as well. Uh, many people, many of your listeners probably know who he is. From, he from Los Angeles, right? Yes. The, the administrator. Yes. Okay. Yes. And one of the things he said the other day is one of the best ways to deal with people who are not doing well or disagree with you or, um, or just having a hard time in life is to just love them. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. love them. Mm. Um, it's, it's not a, you know, revelation, but just love them and, and just love people. Now it's not easy to do. It's hard. <laughs> That's right. You know, there are times where I gotta, 
I got to go in another room. I got to pray and I got to come back and love, you know, right. and that's right. maybe even five minutes after that, something may be said and I got to leave again. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, take a bathroom break or something, but <laughs> we just got to love people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, grace covers all, you know, love and grace, love and grace, love and grace. But there's a time when you've got to just call people to, yeah. to the battle standard, mm -hmm. you know, and we practice a lot of grace here in Huntsville and a lot of love here in Huntsville, but we also call people to the Bible standard. And as the leader, I mean, you look on Jesus's example, you know, Jesus looked at the crowd and he was like, they were lost like sheep without a shepherd. And then you see him telling Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have, you don't have the, you know, the, the thought of, finish the scripture for me, J.D., of, of, you don't have the thought of, of, of God, but of man, something to that effect. And, um, but you see Jesus overturning the tables because these people were sitting, you know, mm -hmm. but you see him loving. And so as a leader, you cannot take everything so personally, right. you know, and that's um, right. You can't, you can't take everything personally. And if you, if you put yourself into that person's shoes, then you can better able to disciple, to assess, to, um, to um, decipher what to mm -hmm. discuss, what to leave. Not everything you need to attack, not everything you need to address. There's some things you can just let it go. That's right. Yeah. Let That's it right. go. And there's some things that you've just got to say, hey, sis. So, of course, there's been challenges, but what's been most inspiring for you? Um, I think what's been most in inspiring is to see God answer prayers. Mm -hmm. We have been praying, we, and we pray as a church a lot. Uh, we pray for the city. Uh, we pray uh, for God to move in his church. Um, that's one of the things that I recognize that the last um, um, small church conference uh, where in Wisconsin, they just they prayed a lot about the church. And so we brought that back here too. And we, we pray a lot. We, we have a prayer circuit probably twice a year where everybody, as many people who can join will jump in their cars and we will caravan around Huntsville to different places, parks, schools. And we get out of our cars and we pray. And then we get back in the car and drive to another school or another park and pray again, uh, probably about five stops. And um, we pray for the church and for the city. And I think it's just been inspiring to see how God answers those mm -hmm. prayers uh, with people just out of nowhere saying, hey, we want to move to Huntsville. Mm -hmm. Or, or uh, we want to we, we, we look for a job in Huntsville and move. And we want to help the church there. Um, uh, and, and, and how we meet people and they become disciples. God has just truly been answering prayers. And I think that is inspiring. Wow. Um, when you pray for something for God's church, not necessarily for your need or your want, but you pray that what God is promising in the scriptures happens and what he wants to see based on the gospel happens and you see it happen. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. That's a great nugget right there. I am going to take that home. That's something that I've, I've thought about in the past, but I've never actually implemented just to pray over different sections of the city yeah. and do like a prayer rally. 
yes. like a prayer drive. I am. That's awesome. That, that, that's a great idea. Claudette, anything inspiring? What's inspiring for me is just this church. The, um, the, the people, the disciples who are part of this church, they are just incredible. I, I feel lucky. I, I feel so blessed to be around them because it's not difficult to get people to do things. You know, I, I may be the one saying, listen, have a Sabbath, okay? Have a Sabbath, you know, and take some time for you. But the hearts of the men and women that are part of this church are servants. Mm. They are a family. Uh, one of the things that we do here that I love is our break bread. Um, during COVID, we had to slow down a little bit because, um, you know, obviously we didn't want people to, you know, be affected by COVID in any mm. way, but... People um, just going from different people's homes every every other week or every third week or, right. or so just Once to break bread, just to have a meal together. And we still do it, but now it's done differently. And um, God has blessed us recently. A couple in the church bought a building and we're renting um, the building from them. And he's blessed us now with this um enough space that we can have break bread safely so that has been very inspiring i think having couples being willing to work across ministries having the young marrieds the younger marrieds the singles look up to them having the um singles taking care of the campus who take care of the teens uh, and um i think just having everyone's hand in each other's ministry is, is, is what's inspiring to me. The church just works together as a unit, mm -hmm. as a family. And I mm. pray that as we continue to grow, it's gonna continue to you know, have the same structure that, 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 that it has. So that's, that's just in, incredibly inspiring to me. Let me ask you, when you say break bread, what, what's the difference between what you're doing there and just sharing the Lord's Supper on a Sunday? Yeah, so um, so we have communion, of course, like like every um, like everyone else on a Sunday. But what is different is that once a month, we will leave church, and this is this is prepared and everything, and we have a potluck at someone's home together. So this is the entire church. It, it was a lot easier to do. When we were close, you know, <laughs> and so the entire church, we will leave. And, you know, if we have to go home and pick it up, or if we already have it with us, bring our, bring our meal, our potluck meal to a specific home. And we may change the location every month. Um, and we eat together and we fellowship. The kids play games together. They go out in the in the yard and they play a sport or and we just we're being together. Um, usually that's like from one o'clock until sometimes four or five o'clock in the evening. Um, uh, and so that's what we we make sure to do that on a monthly basis. How have you modified that since COVID? So with COVID, it slowed down um, and we, one of the things we tried to do was try to eat together on Zoom. You know, everybody's on <laughs> um, that That didn't work out too great, but we tried to do it again. Um, so we, when we weren't meeting on Zoom, we started meeting in a park and we tried doing it in the park I see. one time. Yeah. 
but it's very difficult because, you know, with eating together, you know, you got to take your mask off, you know, then there's a serving of the food and, and all that. So with COVID, it's really uh, slowed down yeah. quite significantly. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. But now we're, now we're trying to do it again. But then, of course, now in Alabama, COVID numbers have risen again. So, Well, what, what advice would you give to someone who wants to live a no regrets life and make this life count? You know what? I think, I think we got to live life to the full. We got to live our, our, our best life by really taking everything we take on, do it to the best of our capability, you know, um, and do it for God. I think sometimes we can feel like I want to do this for myself. I want to do this for me, but what about doing it for God and for God's kingdom? And this is whatever you do, right? Um, I have a blast on my Sabbath where I rest, but I feel like even that I'm doing it for God because I have to recharge so that I'm the best me that I could be for God mm -hmm. on Tuesday, right? And so I think everything we do, just putting our whole heart into it um, with God at the core and at the center, and I think we'll enjoy it, right? Because there are many times when we do things for ourselves and we think it's not done well enough. It's not done well enough. I'm not satisfied. I'm not pleased. But what about God? God is pleased. Mm -hmm. God is happy. And I think that should even bring us joy. I don't do ministry for me. I don't, I don't feel like I love my neighbor and I love people for me. And that, so it brings a whole different fulfillment um, um, and helps me to live my best life maybe your best life i think living your best life is simply putting god first yeah. i mean the scripture clearly says as the disciple do not conform conform any longer to the pattern of this world and i think a lot of times we don't live our best life because we try to conform to the pattern of this world and so there's this struggle that we feel that that we go through because we want the world but we also want what god is, has given us mm -hmm. and i think if we decide every day to deny ourselves and to live um put god first in whatever area of our life and you know a lot of times we may fall you know a lot of us fall including myself but picking yourself back up and saying mm -hmm. listen I am going to live today for Jesus. Mm. What does that mean? It means, okay, if I sin, I'm going to repent. I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to move on. <laughs> okay, the girl in, in, that's on the street that's walking and I'm walking, hey, hey, you know what? We've got this church service with social distance. Would you like to come? We practice social distancing. Would you like to come? She may say, what are you talking about? I have my church, but I'm going to do this. But whatever it is, I'm going to go kayaking this weekend with a bunch of sisters or whomever. Oh, man, I'm going to go zip lining this weekend. We like to do that stuff. We do a lot of that stuff. You know, I don't do a lot of it. JD and the brothers do a lot of it. <laughs> them. They're always doing stuff. You know, JD and I, um, we've taken up this new hobby. Yeah, shooting but sports. It's shooting sports, and it's fun. You know, they had ladies' night the other night, and I invited the girls with me, and I came home. Oh, my gosh, that was fun. And but, but while we're having this fun in life, 
bringing people along with you, mm -hmm. sharing your faith, you know, making the gospel attractive. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so God doesn't want us to not have fun. We can have fun and make the gospel attractive, but wanting to conform. Right. God's ways and not the pattern of the world. Mm -hmm. And having fun with people right. is a whole lot better. A whole lot yeah. better. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for your time and thank you for what you're doing in Huntsville. Very interesting. You're starting in the ministry, working secular jobs for 15 years, getting back into the ministry, leading a successful replant, essentially, of a church and then growing it, which is just an amazing accomplishment. And I'll be praying for you to go from 50 to 100 and beyond. I know you guys will do it. You guys have what it takes, that's for sure. Thank you for what you're sharing. I just want to ask you, you went to the first conference, the Look Up Conference in Eau Claire, mm -hmm. Wisconsin, and we've got another one around the corner in Dallas, Texas, on December 2nd through 5th. Are you guys planning on going to that? Absolutely. Yes. We're, we're, we are already registered and we're looking forward to it. We're actually taking a, a short break here in Huntsville, but we, we planned it so that we come right back from our break to be at the conference. And we're really excited about it because I do believe that the first conference we went to made a difference in, in where we're at now. Uh, we took a lot of nuggets from there and I still have my notes uh, that I can bring up at any moment. And, and uh, it was exciting, but there's just so much to learn. Yeah. I mean, why, why shouldn't, why wouldn't we? That's right. That's right. Well, I look forward to seeing you guys there. Thank you so much for your time and all the best to you. Thank you for sharing your time on your 22nd anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.